What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favalli and Andy Bailey. And today we're going to be talking about the topic that gets Andy more excited than anything else. As you might have guessed, that would be the Utah Jazz. Kind of a trendy playoff pick in the Western Conference thanks to a stifling defense uh, that was the absolute best defense in the league after the All-Star break last season. And it's now a question of whether they can keep that momentum going and have their young talent take that next step and assert themselves as not just an up-and-coming team, but a team that's already arrived as a true threat. So I, th- I think the obvious question here is just how high are we on this team? I'm, I'm pretty high on them, obviously. Uh, like you said, this is a team that gets me pretty excited uh, in terms of basketball. And I, I think there's every reason to believe they can sustain what they did last season. A lot of people will say that the iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. You can't really read much into the last couple of months because you're going to play a lot of teams that aren't trying anymore. Um, you know, uh, some models will say that the first half of a season is a much better predictor of future success than the second half. But I think what the Jazz did is unprecedented in the sense that the entire team, um, with the exception of Joe Ingles, uh, I think that's really the only one, maybe Trevor Booker, was under the age of 25 last season. So they had all these great signs last season, and everybody is still multiple years short of their athletic prime. So there's every reason to believe that these guys will improve, especially given the fact that their coach, Quinn Snyder, is his specialty is player development. There, there are players on the Hawks, Dennis Schroeder, uh, Damari Carroll, who will by name credit Quinn Snyder for the jumps that they took in Atlanta. So to me, there's every reason to think that they'll – 
at the very least sustain what they did in the second half of last season. If if we're just going to take into account the caveats of it being the second half of the season, and Bailey brought up some good points about why people think uh, it's sort of an inferior indicator of what teams can do, I don't think the Jazz playing pretty much at an historic defensive pace for almost 30 games can just be a fluke. 30 games is almost half the season. That's a long time to be really good defensively. And that's what we're making this team out to be, is it not? They have a lot of young talent that still needs to learn and and develop and become better basketball players, but they're already elite defensively. They have offensive warts. We're not unacknowledging that. Their offense can be tedious. It needs more shooting. It just needs more mojo in general. Hopefully if they figure out the starting point guard position over the next year or so. But people are – the way they talk about the Jazz and – and the skeptics, it just seems like they don't necessarily understand what this team is. It's an elite defensive team that's going to contend for a playoff spot in the Western Conference. I don't understand why that's so hard to believe. It's really not even the first half or second half thing either because the, the jump coincided with Ennis Cantor getting traded to Oklahoma yep, City Thunder. And all of a sudden, Rudy Gobert gets to play big minutes and he becomes, bar none, the best rim protector in the league. I mean, when people drove on him, they did not score last season. It was right around 40% shooting at the rim, which is ridiculously low for a player who was so involved. He's only going to get better. Alongside Derek Favors, that's probably already the best defensive frontcourt tandem that we have in the NBA. So this is a team that has the pieces in place now, and it wasn't so much of a second-half thing as a figuring out who was supposed to be on the court and going from there. So like Dan said, I think the biggest concern is the point guard position, but even that's not going to matter if they hold opponents to under 100 points per 100 possessions, which they were doing and then some after the All-Star break last season. That's a really good point, and, and that's another one that a lot of critics uh, fail to recognize. They, they literally were two different teams, and a lot of reports after the fact or after the trade was made of Ennis Kanter said basically the only reason he played was to showcase him and keep his trade value up. So they, they knew that Gobert was the starting center for that team for the future. It was a, it was a front office move to showcase Kanter to keep him in the lineup. You do bring up another good point about point guard, though. And the loss of Dante Exum, I think, is a little bit concerning in terms of their defense. Um, I think the best three-man lineup for them defensively in terms of of defensive rating was was, uh, Exum, Hayward, and Gobert for, for the season. And obviously, going from Exum back to Trey Burke could could cause a hiccup in some of that defensive prowess that they established last season. But even if they regress, uh, say, four or five points per 100 possessions defensively this season, they're still going to be in the running for the top defense in the league. I'm honestly not even that concerned about the point point guard position. Uh, Trey Burke is terrible. I don't care what he did during the preseason. I mean, he shot well, but I, I think that's firmly a fluke. Howell Neto could be valuable, but they have, they have other guys who can handle the ball. I mean, we know, that, we know that Alec Burks can, and he's worked in the past with John Stockton to improve as a point guard. We know that Gordon Hayward can play a little bit of point forward, and again, it's all about the defense. So it's a concern because it has to be a concern because point guard is so important in today's NBA, but if there's a roster that's set up to overcome having a deficit at the one, it's this one. Yeah, I'd agree with everything that Adam said there. It, it helps a little bit, too, that Alec Burks is still a clear offensive upgrade over Trey Burke, and you have enough defense in the rest of the lineup because 
if you look at guys like Gobert and Favors and Hayward and Rodney Hood, all are plus defenders. You can throw in Burks. Doesn't need to be a plus defender. And if he's going to guard point guards and two guards and they get by him, you still have two really elite rim protectors to pick up the mess. And the bigger concern overall anyway is offense. And it's not as important to have that clear-cut, defined point guard on offense anymore. You can have Gordon Hayward run point forward. You, you can have Alec Burks bring the ball as sort of a combo guard, and it can work. I don't know how good the Jazz offense will be because they didn't go out there and get these additional weapons. Burks himself is that added threat. But everyone around needs to develop and make the leap there. But Exum's absence, while it could be slightly concerning defensively, I don't think it's anything to get really worried about. I'm with you guys. I, I think it is a slight worry defensively, but I think overall, at least in the short term, you can, you can look at this as kind of a silver lining. You said that Burks is an upgrade over Burke. In the short term, he's also a pretty big upgrade over Dante Exum, um, at oh, least yeah. on the I offensive Exum, end. Excuse me. Uh, either way, you would have been right. Um, and, and this is something that I've kind of been trumpeting for a month or two, and I've talked to a lot of people in, in the local jazz media about this. I don't, I don't understand the need to start a traditional point guard for this team. I think their five best players are Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert. And I think their skill sets complement each other really well. Like you said, Hood and Hayward can both initiate a pick and roll. They can both run an offense. Alec Burks can handle the ball. Um, I think shooting is it's going to be a little suspect in that lineup because Favors and Gobert can't shoot, and Burks, the jury's kind of out on him there. But I think with this team, I want to see the five best players on the floor as much as possible, and that's the unit. And the encouraging thing is Quinn Snyder has played a lot of these heavy wing uh, lineups in the preseason. So hopefully we'll see more of that in the regular season. At the risk of going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, and I do want to come back to what I think is the biggest problem for their offense, do you think that point guard defense is as important as it is at the other positions? Even in today's NBA, where it's such a point guard-dominated league, I feel like if you have a, gr- a great backup line like Gobert and Favors and then wing stoppers, that it's not quite as important as it is at other positions. That's a good question. And I, my initial response would be it depends on how, what kind of a defensive identity you want to establish. So you look at the Bucks, who were a good defensive team last season, their only real rim protector was John Henson, and he didn't play a lot of minutes. They, they established their defensive identity with length on the wings. Um, you look at a team like the Jazz, they established their identity with what you said, a great back line. So even if you do get beat at the point of attack, you've got great help behind you. At the same time, if you're in the Western Conference, it certainly doesn't hurt to have guys that can slow down the likes of Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, uh, the rest of that crazy gauntlet in the West. But I think to your point, it's not, it's not a team killer if you, don't have, if you don't have this pit bull at the one. Yeah, I, would, I don't really have anything to add to what Bailey just said. The inverse could be true. You could be elite on the perimeter, which would cover up porous rim protection. It, it certainly doesn't hurt the Jazz that they don't have that lockdown defender at the one anymore because those rim protectors are there. More, I think what Bailey was just saying before is that they would be so much more scary defensively with Exum on the court, and maybe you could talk about them not sustaining that mark they did for the final 29 games, but really hanging close to it if he was there. 
But I almost, like he said, it could be a silver lining just because it will force them to try some new things, some new lineups, and they might be better off offensively for it. Because even during that run, when they had one of the best net ratings in the league, their offense still ranked outside the top 15. And you want to get to that balance. Yeah, I agree with you guys. And it's, I think it's partially because the biggest offensive problem isn't really solvable by changing up the lineup in the backcourt. It's that Favors and Gobert both play a very similar game on offense. They're dive guys. They don't have any range, and they like occupying the exact same spots on the court. So if you've got two guys that are trying to set up on the blocks and set some picks and roll into the paint, then you don't have enough spacing down there, and you're taking, you're taking the defense and compressing it around everything that you want to do around the basket. I'm not really sure how you solve that issue outside of either Gobert or Favors developing a mid-range jumper, which I don't think there have really been signs of that happening, have there? Favors was decent at it last season, but it, it it certainly has betrayed him this preseason, which is obviously a small sample. I don't know how much you can read into it. But he's gotten better over the course of his career, and that is the hope for the front office, is that he can at least become a consistent like 15- to 18-foot jump shooter. Even then, his strength is always going to be finishing at the rim, like you said, which is obviously going to be Gobert's strength too. They've, they've tried to mitigate that a little bit by adding a guy that they thought would be a stretch five, uh, signing Tibor Pleiss from his, his team in Spain. That experiment, we haven't really seen play out. He, he's not really ready for the physicality and the speed of the NBA based on what I saw in preseason. He only took one three-pointer that I can remember, and it took him forever to get it off, which was fine because he had plenty of space in that situation. But if he does become a three-point threat, it's going to be really easy for even uh, average NBA centers to close out on that. So that, yes, they do have to figure something out with that spacing problem. They've Snyder looks like he's a little more willing to play some of the small ball lineups where maybe a Joe Ingles or a Gordon Hayward plays at the four with either of those guys at the five. I think that helps offensively a little bit, but then you sacrifice that dominant defense. So it's, it's a balancing act. They're going to have to try and figure it out. Yeah, the issue I have with that is I want Favors and Gobert on the court together as much as possible. For sure. Especially it wouldn't be unreasonable to it wouldn't be unreasonable to stagger their minutes to some degree though. And maybe that's where Exum not having Exum might hurt you because you won't feel as uneasy about throwing out just one of Gobert or Favors for some stretch of minutes at a time to run those small ball lineups as you have someone like Exum who can guard essentially two or three spots on the floor right now and, and that might hurt them in terms of running combinations, but what, short of really going out there and getting that different offensive weapon or someone who wasn't on the team last year, there wasn't much they can expect differently offensively this year. And I, I don't think you should have went out and gotten anybody because you still sort of need to see what you have in this group because they were so good at the end. You have to see maybe they can develop offensively, but you want to make sure that the defense uh, is is what it looked like it was at the end of last year. And you're just going to have to wait on the offense, I guess. Maybe you could hope that Trey Burke plays a little bit better this year. Uh, you can hope Alec Burks injects some extra points into the attack. But their offense is concerning. But I think they did what they needed to do with this roster over the offseason, which wasn't much. Yeah, the really cool thing about this team is that usually you have organizations that are kind of stuck almost making the playoffs or earning that 7 or 8 seed and experiencing a first round exit and they're stuck there but the Jazz don't feel like they are because they don't really need to dig into the well and add another piece. They're ready to try and compete now and they have so many different pieces already there 
that they can still expect improvement in the future, even without going and getting a big draft pick, even without going and getting a big free agent signing. And someone like Trey Lyles, who they drafted this year, if he does develop into the stretch four that he was expected to be when they selected him, that'll help down the road. For sure. Is Trey Lyles really going to be a stretch four, though? I haven't seen any I've, evidence that makes you believe he will be. I'm not sure about stretch four, but uh, I don't know if you guys read the Zach Lowe article uh, last season about playmaking fours. He, he was kind of saying we need to replace stretch four, and, and he said a lot of GMs have talked to him about this with playmaking four, somebody who's mobile, can create off the dribble, can run a pick and roll, like the four or five pick and roll we saw with Josh Smith sure. and Dwight Howard. That's, that's certainly something that Lyles is capable of. He's got great footwork and great handle for a 6'10 guy. The jump shot, it's looked okay for me. Everything he shoots is long, which is better than being left or right. I, I think it's correctable. I don't know if he'll ever develop into a great stretch four. But he, after watching him in the summer league in the preseason, I can see why they selected him. Um, you know, he does have that ability to be a playmaking four. But to Adam's point, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, that all of these guys are still short of their prime. So even if they have, they have six or seven of these intriguing young talents, even if four or five of them, or only you know four or five of them, take a step forward this season, it's still reasonable to expect that they at least maintain what they did in the second half or get better. And, it, and it's not crazy to think they will. They're all so young. Yeah, and, I mean, if... if- if they trot out the just to Andy's point, if they trot out the lineup that he wants them to, Gordon Hayward is going to be the oldest at twenty five. Exactly. They only have two guys or three guys on the roster right now that are older than twenty five. So it does again. It lends hope that this team is just better because it will develop. Yeah, and I mean to Andy's point, they they played at a fifty two win pace after the All Star game last year. So that's what we're talking about maintaining or improving upon. And that's a fantastic position to be in mm-hmm. when your oldest guy is 25 years old. How many teams can claim that? Not very many. <laughs> certainly not. None. Yeah. Certainly not the Bucks after the break. They're the, they're the, I mean, they're the Eastern Conference team that kind of mirrors them in terms of team building. Um, and there's question marks with them. After, the, after they added Michael Carter-Williams, I think they went like 11 and 19 or something. Um, mm-hmm. This really is the Jazz, a very unique team. Off the top of my head, I can't think of another one in this situation that turned around that quickly. I, I don't want to sound too crazy, but the Westbrook, Harden, Durant, Thunder were similar, except in the sense that Westbrook and, and Durant were legitimate superstars. I'm not sure if there's anybody like that on, on Utah's roster, but it's certainly a similar feel where these young guys all kind of come together at the same time and develop together, have continuity, have chemistry, and it's a cool thing to witness. So, a snap judgment. Does Rudy Gobert win Defensive Player of the Year? I'll say yes, just to be a I homer. I picked him. And obviously it depends on where that defense is. I think if they maintain, let's say they regress like four or five points per hundred possessions from what they did after the All-Star break last season. If they're around like 98, 99 defensive rating, he's going to be the reason and I don't think voters are going to be able to ignore that. I'm, I'm sure there will be another sort of superficial push for DeAndre Jordan. Um, so I, I think he'll definitely have some competition. I'm sure Draymond Green and Kawhi Leonard will still be in that race. But his, he will definitely be in the conversation. Yeah, I picked him as well. Uh, yeah, I, had a, I don't know how you don't. And almost last year's defensive player of the race was almost encouraging in the sense. I know DeAndre Jordan 
looked like he was a legitimate candidate at one point, just from what people were saying. But just the way the voting went, Leonard sort of came out of nowhere. Draymond Green was right there. Rudy Gobert generated buzz in that conversation as well. People seem to be smarter, the people who vote anyway, about what they need to look for. And the Jazz, if they're going to have a top three defense, which there's no reason to assume that they won't, he is going to be the reason. It's no coincidence that you get rid of Enos Cantor, and all of a sudden, not only are you a great defensive team, but you're playing like a postseason team. That's not going to be something anyone, even the most fundamental basketball pundit who just looks at the raw block totals and steal totals, is going to be able to ignore. Yeah, it seems like we're, we're what, in the third season of SportView data being available now, I think? It kind of feels like that's left the fringe analytics group and is much more of a mainstream statistic now. You've got people that otherwise would have sniffed at it that are actually quoting it now. And I think that that really helps his case because every time you go to that page on NBA.com, it's going to show his picture because he's the best at it. He is a sport VU stud. Yep. So where do we have this team finishing? I believe we have higher than Andy, right? So I'd like to hear what, what Andy thinks. Well, this was before the latest Pelicans injury. The last yeah, time Lady we Lock about hates this. them. Yeah, I I still think just because there are there is so much so many question marks on offense, so many unproven players offensively. I still think there's a chance that they struggle. Um, and I, I Anthony Davis is obviously amazing, and I think that he will single handedly keep the Pelicans in the playoff race. This might sound a little crazy, but if if Wesley Matthews, who suddenly played in the preseason, and Darren Williams are healthy for most of the season, uh, the Mavericks have Rick Carlisle, who might be the second, or probably is the second best coach in the NBA. I'm not going to be surprised if they're in the playoff picture now. So suddenly it's a little tougher. But if you know, if I had to make a prediction, I still think that Utah is going to finish seventh or eighth, and if not, right at 50 wins, just below it. What about you, Dan? I would firmly put them in the seventh seed. Even if you're going to look at the other uh, teams that are at full strength, say the Mavericks are healthy, say the Pel- Anthony Davis is able to tread water with the Pelicans, say the Suns actually resemble some kind of a playoff contender, the Jazz are just better. If, if we're even going to assume that they do nothing different on the offensive end or that they aren't any better, they were still so good because their defense was so good. It's tough for me to imagine them cracking into that top six. Those seemed really... Uh, to be ironed out, unless you're going to have a team like the Grizzlies falling off, you would ask. think that the Jazz are just, yeah, the Jazz are right in line to take that. If they're going to get 50 wins, and I think they could flirt with that mark, I don't see how you don't pick them as at least the seventh seed in the West. I could understand an argument for the Pelicans, less so now, though, when you know Evans is out, when you know Norris Cole is injured, when you know oh, Ashik is injured, Ajink is injured, and that Holiday is on that minutes limit. I just don't see a team, even the Mavericks, that could really challenge the Jazz if they're going to come come out and defend like they did toward the end of last season. Yeah, I'm going to say 51 wins with the seventh seed, and I actually think they're going to be closer to number six than to number eight because of all the Pelicans injuries, and I, I feel like there's a slight chance they could pass the Grizzlies, like Dan mentioned. Um, I don't think it will happen, but I do think that they're talented enough that that's their ceiling. I think six is a fair ceiling for them. I think you can say that now, and it doesn't sound ridiculous. I honestly don't mind six either as a ceiling. It's kind of yeah, our obviously you don't. Yeah, <laughs> if it, it's kind of our if it breaks right scenario that we've gone over with every team. Like if four or five of these guys do take a little leap 
on offense and they maintain what they did defensively, yeah, I think low to mid-50s isn't crazy. Well, I guess that we have the wins ironed out. That would mean that it's time for... Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! Yes, it is once again time for another edition of Burns My Bacon, and we are going to be handing the giant life-size pork stick to Mr. Adam Frommel today. We normally try to keep the Hardwood Knox podcast PG, maybe PG-13 some episodes, but I'm probably going to swear a lot in this one just because the Greg Hardy situation is pissing me off so much. It was bad enough that the Cowboys signed him in the first place and proved again that the NFL values talent more than the humanity of the people in it. And then we're going to celebrate his sacks. We're going to have him come out and uh, do the guns blazing quote that Katie Nolan uh, pretty much destroyed. If you haven't listened to that one, please make a point too. But now it's just getting absolutely ridiculous. The, the latest, he threw some tamper tantrums on the sidelines. He got in an altercation with the, with the special teams coordinator. Um, he... Des Bryant got up in his face, uh, and there was a little fight between them, for lack of a better word. And then, to top it all off, Jerry Jones says that he is one of the real leaders on this team. Are you kidding me? Come on. Like, that is the last thing that you want to say. And there's a great clip of a reporter standing in the background when he says that, just with this look of consternation on her face. And it's just such a joke, because the NFL can try and put forth this, this image that it wants to actually care about the, the quality of the players in the league, but it doesn't. I mean, that's complete bull because all that matters is whether they're able to get sacks, whether they're able to complete touchdown passes. And Greg Hardy continues to just flaunt this in our faces, and Jerry Jones is just enabling it. I, I think, if, if anything, he's the one that's making the situation far worse than it should be because he isn't down. He, he, he's totally downplaying what's actually happening, and he's promoting it because it doesn't matter. As long as his team wins, which it's not even doing, then it doesn't matter. So at some point, something has to be done about Greg Hardy and everybody else who has just proven to be just scum. And I, at this point, I'm willing to include Jerry Jones in that as well. I agree with everything Adam just said. Greg Hardy is certainly the scum of the earth. It's disgusting that he's still able to play the game of football. It's almost even worse that Jerry Jones is so blatantly enabling it. it it just the things he said there was even a report before i believe that the dallas cowboys still want to sign him long term or whatever is happening it's just it's just gross and the nfl is not doing anything about it the cowboys aren't doing anything about it and greg hardy's a horrible human being and i hate saying this about people that i don't know personally but he's clearly a horrible human being i mean it, to me like the discrepancy between greg hardy and ray rice says everything that's what i was because- going to bring up Ray Rice is not in the league, not because of what he did and that it was caught on video, but because he's not a good running back anymore. His yards per carry were already declining. And if he was on a team, if he was any good right now, he would be on a team and we would hear the exact same bull that we're hearing now. All the players saying that he's become one of the leaders on this team and that he's helping them out and that they only want to talk about football. And we hear the no comment to every question. And it's ridiculous that talent is allowed to supersede the quality of person that you are to this extent. I mean, sure, if the NFL wants to, wants to be in a business of promoting the best football product, it's going to do this to some extent. But it's ridiculous how far they've taken it. I always thought it was kind of funny last year, too, when they, they 
started that whole campaign about treating women better after the Ray Rice thing seemed so superficial to me and almost like capitalizing on this situation. Oh, it's all it is. It's yeah. all it is. It's total hypocrisy. I mean, we see it with the, with the breast cancer awareness and then D'Angelo Williams. I know Dan had a burns my bacon about this exact thing, but it's just another, another knock against the NFL. At this point, I don't... It's so, it's so difficult. I, I grew up in the South. I really enjoy football. I love watching football. I love, I love reading about football. But it's so hard for me to justify my fandom at this point just because the NFL is such a horrible and corrupt institution. I wonder if there's ever – or if there's any chance that Roger Goodell could get the boot anytime soon. I don't know how in bed with the owners he is. but Would it make a difference? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, the the owners have to want change, and do the owners want change? You look at in Minnesota, didn't, after Adrian Peterson abused his child, the Vikings pretty much just paid him not to play for the entire year, did they not? That didn't happen to Ray Rice, and I'm not defending Ray Rice, but there's just that, like Alan, uh, like Adam said, there's just that dichotomy between players who are stars and players who aren't, and you're well, going to give I mean, guys if like talk, if you want to talk about the Vikings and Peterson, like last season. The exact same thing happened, or it was a couple seasons ago, and it was like a backup linebacker on the Vikings, and they they oh, cut yeah. him immediately because he wasn't worth anything to the organization. And I as soon as that, it's Adrian yeah. Peterson at the center of the controversy, we have to give him the due process, whatever the f- that means. <laughs> like, sorry, this just gets me really worked up. Obviously, it was Sunday. Uh, it would have happened against the Giants. It was someone other than Greg Hardy that got in the face of the special teams coach. It's just like they would have they would have cut them. They should have cut Greg Hardy today. He's not doing in the long run. What is he doing for your team? He's the face right now of a really crappy football team. Okay, cool. Like I just don't I don't understand. I don't get why you would defend him. Is Jerry Jones really think, hey, this guy's gonna help us get to a Super Bowl next year? It's not gonna happen this year. Tony Romo isn't getting any younger. Why would you put your organization that you're supposed to care about or the fans you're supposed to care about through this, when the return, even if we want to say a return could be worth it, the return is not going to be worth it. All you're going to do is damage your PR relations image. That's just going to be shot straight to hell, and you're not going to win games because you're not winning games now. This whole situation just mystifies me, especially because of how much BS we've waded through time and again with the NFL, and they haven't learned. That makes this even worse, is that these are reoccurring situations that are of the same vein they're not identical but this stuff is just happening too much i'm sure if people keep watching um they're not gonna they're not really gonna care and people keep watching on the bright side we all cover the nba and uh i think every sports league has its fair share of uh shady characters it does seem to be disproportionately high in the nfl um but the nba is you know it's a fun product and we love talking about it and we would love to talk about it with all of you. Obviously, we do that on the podcast, but you can reach us on Twitter, too. Adam is at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. I'm sure you could get a great discussion with him. As you can hear, he's very fired up about this topic. Can I make one more point before sure. we finish sign-off? That it's really worth noting that as terrible as some of the people in the NFL seem to be, that the domestic violence rate is actually lower per capita in the NFL than it is in the entire United States population. This is an epidemic problem, and it isn't just these famous athletes who are committing these these gross violations. There's just uh, a camera on them. Exactly. So I, I think it's really worth noting 
that it is a serious problem and the NFL does help bring some exposure to it um, for better or for worse, but it is something that we all do need to focus on. I like that ending on a, a slightly uh, better higher note there. Um, again, you can reach Adam and you can talk to him more about this on Twitter from all zero nine. Dan is at Dan Favale. Is it Favale? Yeah. <laughs> I've, I think I've pronounced your name probably 10 different times over the course of the podcast. You're a gentleman for never uh, correcting me while we're recording. Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The three of us can all be reached at Hardwood Knox. And, of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can rate us on iTunes, and you can favorite us on Stitcher. And, guys, this, this was the last NBA preview. So from here on out, you will hear us discussing topics about things that are actually happening in the 2015-16 NBA season. Things start tomorrow. We're excited. We're, we hope you're excited. And we can't wait to talk to you about it. Shout out to Bino Udri. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile. And there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.